Welcome to an Uvula audio presentation of The Sea Fairies by L. Frank Baum, Volume 3. Chapter 5, The Sea Serpent. Just then, Trot happened to look up at the glass roof and saw a startling sight. A big head, with a face surrounded by stubby gray whiskers, was poised just over them and the head was connected to a long, curved body that looked much like a sewer pipe. "'Oh, there is King Onko,' said the queen, following the child's gaze. "'Open the door and let him in, Clea, for I suppose our old friend is anxious to see the earth people.' "'Won't he hurt us?' asked the little girl with a shiver of fear. "'Who, Onko?' "'Oh, no, my dear. We are very fond of the sea-serpent, who is king of this ocean, although he does not rule the mermaids. Old Anko is a very agreeable fellow, as you will soon discover.' "'Can he talk?' asked Trot. "'Oh, yes, indeed. And can we understand what he says?' "'Perfectly,' replied the Queen. "'I have given you the power, while you remain here, to understand the language of every inhabitant of the sea. That's nice, said Trot gratefully. The Princess Clea swam slowly to one of the walls of the throne room, where, at a wave of her hand, a round hole appeared in the coral. The sea serpent at once observed this opening, and the head left the roof of glass only to reappear presently at the round hole. Through this he slowly crawled, until his head was just beneath the throne of Queen Aquarain, who said to him, "'Good morning, Your Majesty. I hope you are quite well.' "'Quite well. Thank you, Majesty.' "'I suppose these are the earth folks you were expecting?' "'Yes,' returned the Queen. "'The girl is named Mary, and the man Captain Bill.' While the sea serpent looked at the visitors, they ventured to look at him. He certainly was a queer creature, yet Trot decided he was not at all frightful. His head was round as a ball, but his ears were sharply pointed and had tassels at the ends of them. His nose was flat, and his mouth very wide indeed. But his eyes were blue and gentle in expression. The white, stubby hairs that surrounded his face were not thick, like a beard, but scattered and scraggly. From the head, the long brown body of the sea serpent extended to the hole in the coral wall, which was just big enough to admit it, and how much more of the body remained outside the child could not tell. On the back of the body were several fins, which made the creature look more like an eel than a serpent. "'The girl is young, and the man is old,' said King Anko in a soft voice. "'But I am quite sure Captain Bill is not as old as I am.' "'How old are you?' asked the sailor. "'I cannot say exactly. I can remember several thousands of years back, but beyond that my memory fails me. How is your memory, Captain Bill?' "'You've got me beat,' was the reply. I'll give in that you're older than I am. This seemed to please the sea serpent. Are you well? he asked. Pretty fair, 
said Captain Bill. How's about yourself? Oh, I am very well, thank you, answered Anko. I never remember to have had a pain but three times in my life. The last time was when Julius Sneezer was on earth. I think you mean Julius Caesar, said Trot, correcting him. No, I mean Julius Sneezer, insisted the sea serpent. That was his real name, Sneezer. They called him Caesar sometimes, just because he took everything he could lay his hands on. I ought to know because I saw him when he was alive. Did you see him when he was alive, Captain Bill? I reckon not, admitted the sailor. That time I had a toothache, continued Anko. But I got a lobster to pull the tooth out with his claw, so the pain was soon over. Did it hurt to pull it? asked Trot. Hurt! exclaimed the sea serpent, groaning at the recollection. Oh, my dear, those creatures have been called lobsters ever since. The second pain I had way back in the time of Never Could Never. Oh, I suppose you mean Nebuchadnezzar. "'said Trot. "'Do you call him that now?' "'asked the sea serpent as if surprised. "'He used to be called Never Could Never when he was alive, "'but this new way of spelling seems to get everything mixed up. "'Nebuchadnezzar doesn't mean anything at all, it seems to me.' "'It means he ate grass,' said the child. "'Oh, no, he did not,' declared the sea serpent. "'He was the first to discover that lettuce was good to eat.' and became very fond of it. The people may have called it grass, but they were wrong. I ought to know because I was alive when never could never lived. Were you alive then? No, said Trot. The pain I had then, remarked Anko, was caused by a kink in my tail, about three hundred feet from the end. There was an old octopus who did not like me, and so... He tied a knot in my tail when I was not looking. What did you do? asked Captain Bill. Well, first I transformed the octopus into a jellyfish, and then I waited for the tide to turn. When my tail was untied, the pain stopped. I, I don't understand that, said Trot, somewhat bewildered. Thank you, my dear, replied the sea serpent in a grateful voice. People who are always understood are very common. You are sure to respect those you can't understand, for you feel that perhaps they know more than you do. About how long do you happen to be? inquired Captain Bill. When last I measured, I was 7,482 feet, 5 inches and a quarter. I'm not so sure about the quarter. But the rest is probably correct. Adam measured me when Cain was a baby. Where's the rest of you, then? asked Trot. Safe at home, I hope. Coiled up in my parlor, answered the sea serpent. When I go out, I usually take along only what I need. It saves a lot of bother, and I can always find my way back in the darkest night by just coiling up the part that has been away. "'Do you like being a sea serpent?' inquired the child. "'Yes, for I am king of the ocean, 
and there is no other sea serpent to imagine he is just as good as I am. I have two brothers who live in other oceans, but one is seven inches shorter than I am, and the other several feet shorter. It is curious to talk about feet when we do not have any feet, is it not? It seems so, acknowledged Trot. I feel I have much to be proud of, continued Anko in a dreamy tone. My great age, my undisputed sway, and my exceptional strength. I don't believe I'd care to live so long, remarked Captain Bill thoughtfully. So long as 7,482 feet, five inches and a quarter? asked the sea serpent. No, I mean so many years, replied the sailor. But what can one do if one happens to be a sea serpent? Uncle inquired. There is nothing in the sea that can hurt me. I cannot commit suicide because we have no carbolic acid or firearms or gas to turn on. So it is not a matter of choice, and I'd about as soon be alive as dead. It does not seem quite so monotonous, you know. But I guess I've stayed about long enough, so I will go home to dinner. Come and see me when you have the time. Thank you, said Trot, and Merla added, I'll take you over to His Majesty's palace when we go out, and let you see how he lives. Yes, do, please, said Anko, and then he slowly slid out of the hole, which immediately closed behind him, leaving the coral wall as solid as before. Oh, exclaimed Trot, King Anko forgot to tell us what the third pain was about. So he did, said Captain Bill. We must ask him about that when we see him, but I guess the old boy's memory is failing and he can't be depended upon for particulars. Chapter 6 Exploring the Ocean The Queen now requested her guests to recline upon couches, that they might rest themselves from their long swim and talk more at their ease. So the girl and the sailor allowed themselves to float downward until they rested their bodies on two of the couches nearest the throne, which were willingly vacated for them, by the mermaids who had occupied them until then. The visitors soon found themselves answering a great many questions about their life on the earth, for although the queen had said she kept track of what was going on on the land, there were many details of human life in which all the mermaids seemed greatly interested. During the conversation, several sea-maids came swimming into the room, bearing trays of sea-apples and other fruit, which they first offered to the queen, and then passed refreshments around to the company assembled. Trot and Cap'n Bill each took some, and the little girl found the fruits delicious to eat, as they had a richer flavor than any that grew upon land. Queen Aquarain was much pleased when the old sailor asked for more, but Merlo warned him dinner would soon be served, and he must take care not to spoil his appetite for that meal. Our dinner is at noon, for we have to cook in the middle of the day when the sun is shining, she said. Cook? cried Trot. Why, you can't build a fire in the water, can you? We've got no need of fires, was the reply. The glass roof of our kitchen is so curved that it concentrates the heat of the sun's rays, 
which are then hot enough to cook anything we wish. But how do you get along if the day is cloudy and the sun doesn't shine? inquired the little girl. Then we use the hot springs that bubble up in another part of the palace, Merla answered. But the sun is by far the best to cook by. So it was no surprise to Trot when, about noon, dinner was announced, and all the mermaids, headed by their queen and their guests, swam into another spacious room where a great long table was laid. The dishes were of polished gold and dainty cut glass, and the cloth and napkins of fine gossamer. Around the table were arranged rows of couches for the mermaids to recline upon as they ate. Only the nobility and the favorites of Queen Aqua Rain were invited to partake of this repast, for Clea explained that tables were set for other mermaids in different parts of the numerous palaces. Trot wondered who would serve the meal, but her curiosity was soon satisfied when several large lobsters came sliding into the room backwards, bearing on their claws trays loaded with food. Each of these lobsters had a golden band around its neck to show it was a slave of the mermaids. These curious waiters were fussy creatures, and Trot soon found much amusement in watching their odd motions. They were so spry and excitable that, at times, they ran against one another and upset the platters of food, after which they began to scold and argue as to whose fault it was, until one of the mermaids quietly rebuked them and asked them to be more quiet and more careful. The Queen's guests had no cause to complain of the and deliciously flavored. Then came salmon steaks, fried in fish oil, with a fungus bread that tasted much like field mushrooms. Oysters, clams, soft-shell crabs, and various preparations of seafoods followed. The salad was a delicate leaf from some seaweed that Trot thought was much nicer than lettuce. Several courses were served, and the lobsters changed the plates with each course, chattering and scolding as they worked. And as Trot said, Doing everything backwards, in their nervous, fussy way. Many of the things offered them to eat were unknown to the visitors, and the child was suspicious of some of them. But Captain Bill asked no questions and ate everything offered him, so Trot decided to follow his example. Certainly it is that they found the meal very satisfying, and evidently there was no danger of being hungry while they remained guests of the mermaids. When the fruits came, Trot thought that must be the last course of the big dinner, but following the fruits were ice creams frozen into the shapes of flowers. How funny, said the child, to be eating ice cream at the bottom of the ocean. Why does that surprise you? asked the queen. I can't see where you would get the ice to freeze it, Trot replied. It is brought to us from icebergs that float in the northern parts of the ocean, explained Merla. Of course, Trot. Your order thought of that. I did, said Captain Bill. The little girl was glad there was no more to eat, for she was ashamed to feel she had eaten every morsel she could. Her only excuse for being so greedy was that everything tasted just splendidly, as she told the queen. And now said Aqua Rain. I will send you out for a swim with Merla, 
who will show you some of the curious sights of our sea. You need not go far this afternoon, and when you return, we will have another interesting talk together. So the blonde mermaid led Trot and Cap'n Bill outside the palace walls, where they found themselves in the pretty flower gardens. I'd feel all right, mate, if I could have a smoke, remarked the old sailor to the child. But that's a thing as can't be done here in the water. Why not? asked Merla, who had overheard him. A pipe has to be lighted and a match wouldn't burn under here, he replied. Try it, suggested the mermaid. I do not mind your smoking at all, if it will give you pleasure. It's a bad habit I've got, and I'm too old to break meself of it, said Captain Bill. Then he felt in the big pockets of his coat and took out a pipe and a bag of tobacco. After he had carefully filled his pipe, rejoicing in the fact that the tobacco was not at all wet, he took out his matchbox and struck a light. The match burned brightly, and soon the sailor was puffing the smoke from his pipe in great contentment. The smoke ascended through the water in the shape of bubbles, and Trot wondered what anyone who happened to be floating upon the surface of the ocean would think to see smoke coming from the water. "'Well, I find I can smoke all right,' remarked Captain Bill. "'But it bothers me to understand why.' "'It's because of the airspace existing between the water and everything you have about you,' explained Merla. "'But now, if you will come this way, I will take you to visit some of our neighbors.' They passed over the carpet of sea-flowers, the gorgeous blossoms swaying on their stems as the motion of the people in the water above them disturbed their repose, and presently the three entered the dense shrubbery surrounding the palaces. They had not proceeded far when they came to a clearing among the bushes, and here Merla paused. Trot and Cap'n Bill paused too, for floating in the clear water was a group of beautiful shapes that the child thought looked like molds of wine jelly. They were round as a dinner plate, soft and transparent, but tinted in such lovely hues that no artist's brush has ever been able to imitate them. Some were deep sapphire blue, others rose pink, still others a delicate topaz color. They seemed to have neither heads, eyes, nor ears, yet it is easy to see that they were alive and able to float in any direction they wished to go. In shape they resembled inverted flower-pots, with the upper edges fluted, and from the centers floated what seemed to be bouquets of flowers. "'How pretty!' exclaimed Trot, enraptured by the sight. "'Yes, this is a rare variety of jellyfish.' replied Merla. The creatures are not so delicate as they appear, and live for a long time, unless they get too near the surface, and the waves wash them ashore. After watching the jellyfish a few moments, they followed Merla through the grove, and soon a low chant, like that of an Indian song, fell upon their ears. It was a chorus of many small voices, and grew louder as they swam on. Presently, a big rock rose suddenly before them from the bottom of the sea, rearing its steep side far up into the water overhead, and this rock was thickly covered with tiny shells that clung fast to its surface. 
The chorus they heard appeared to have come from these shells, and Merla said to her companions, These are the singing barnacles. They are really very amusing, and if you listen carefully, you can hear what they are saying. So Trot and Captain Bill listened, and this is what the barnacles sang. We went to topsy-turvy land to see a man-o'-war, and we were much attached to it because we simply were. We found an anchor right within the mud upon the lee, for the ghost of Jonah's well, he ran away and went to sea. Oh, it was awful, it was unlawful, we ran around the flag in several millions. They couldn't shake us, they couldn't take us. So the halibut and What did that all mean? asked Trot. I suppose they refer to the way barnacles have of clinging to ships, replied Merla. But usually their songs mean nothing at all. The little barnacles haven't many brains, so we usually find their songs quite stupid. Do they write comic operas? asked the child. I think not, answered the mermaid. They seem to like the songs themselves, remarked Captain Bill. Oh, yes, they sing all day long, but it never matters to them whether their songs mean anything or not. Let us go in this direction and visit some other sea people. So they swam away from the barnacle-covered rock, and Trot heard the last chorus as she slowly followed their conductor. The barnacles were singing, Oh, very well, then I hear the curfew. Please go in, come some other day. Goliath tussles with Samson's muscles, yet the muscles never fight in Oyster Bay. It's just nonsense, said Trot scornfully. Why don't they sing Annie Laurie or Home Sweet Home or, or just keep quiet? Well, if they were quiet, replied Merla, then they wouldn't be the singing barnacles, now would they? They came now to one of the avenues which led from the sea garden out into the broad ocean. Here two swordfishes were standing guard. Is all quiet? Merla asked them. Just as usual, your highness, replied one of the guards. Mummer couple was sick this morning and grunted dreadfully, but he's better now and has gone to sleep. King Ahanko has been stirring around some, but is now taking his afternoon nap. I think it will be perfectly safe for you to swim out for a while, if you wish. Who's Mummer Cubble? asked Trot as they passed into deep water. Oh, he's the sea pig, replied Merla. I'm glad he's asleep, for now we won't meet him. Don't you like him? inquired Trot. Oh, he complains so bitterly of everything that he bores us, Merla answered. Mummer Cubble is never contented or happy for a single minute. I've seen people like that, said Captain Bill with a nod of his head. They have a way of upsetting the happiest folks they meet. Look out, suddenly cried the mermaid. Look out for your fingers. Those are snapping eels. Who? Where? asked Trot anxiously. And now they were in the midst of a cluster of wriggling, darting eels, which sported all around them in the water with marvelous activity. Yeah, look out for your fingers and your noses, said one of the eels, making a dash for Captain Bill. 
At first, the sailor was tempted to put out a hand and push the creature away, but remembering his fingers would thus be exposed, he remained quiet, and the eel snapped harmlessly just before his face and then darted away. "'Stop it!' said Merla. "'Stop it this minute, or I'll report your impudence to Queen Aquarain!' "'Ah, who cares?' shouted the eels. "'We're not afraid of the mermaids!' "'She'll stiffen you all up again, as she did once before,' said Merla. "'If you try to hurt the earth people, she will.' "'Are these earth people?' asked one, and then they all stopped their play and regarded Trot and Captain Bill with their little black eyes. "'The old Pollywog looks something like King Anko!' said one of them. "'I'm not a Pollywog!' answered Captain Bill angrily. "'I am a respectable sailor man, and I'll have you treat me decent, or I'll know why.' "'Sailor?' said another. "'That means you float on the water, not in it! What are you doing down here?' "'I'm just visiting,' replied Captain Bill. "'He's one of the guests of our Queen,' said Merla. "'And so is this little girl, and if you do not behave nicely to them, you will surely be sorry.' "'That's all right,' replied the biggest of the eels, wriggling around in a circle and then snapping at a companion, which has quickly snapped out of his way. "'We know how to be polite to company, as well as the mermaids. We won't hurt them.' "'Come on, fellas. Let's go scare old Mummercumble!' cried another, and then in a flash they all darted away and left our friends to themselves. Trot was greatly relieved. "'I don't think I like eels,' she said. They are more mischievous than harmful, replied Merla. But I do not care for them much myself, either. No, added Captain Bill. They just ain't respectful.